pastor here, and I don't usually do this, but I want to reinforce what Rachel just said about the two events she talked about. The Old Testament toe dip is just going to be a great chance to, to fall in love with the Bible like never before and understand it and go deeper in interacting with God and his purposes through, through the Old Testament and all, and all the Bible, all the Bible. And also, for Men's Encounter and Women's Restore, I kind of want to throw down the gauntlet a little bit this morning. I was thinking about this, and I talked about this at those of you who had our members meeting in August, but there are a lot of things we do as a church over the course of the year, and I always feel like whatever's in front of us next is the most important thing. Like, oh, this is the most important thing. Like, everybody should come to this. But really, if we would step back, I think there is nothing more important for us as a church in, that we do church-wide over the course of a year than Men's Encounter and Women's Restore. These are events where it's kind of like going to the doctor once a year for a checkup, which I don't do, so maybe a bad, bad an example. But when I go to Men's Encounter, I've been to like five of these things, and it's so thorough in walking through your life and bringing you to God's truth and applying it to your life to help you go to the next level that it, is, it has impacted me every year. And it's also an incredibly great thing to bring our friends to. And so... It's kind of like, a, a, it's, it's an incredible place for us as a church, not only for our own lives, but to say, man, we want to reach our city. This is an incredibly great opportunity for us to come with expectancy, to bring our friends. Um, there, there is a cost. Anything valuable has a cost, and oftentimes there's, that's a challenge. And there are oftentimes other things going on those weekends. It's funny how that works, but that's what being an overcomer is all about, is having something to overcome. So I want to just just encourage you to really prayerfully consider. This is just a, a powerful time for us to come together in our own lives, but also to, to reach our city as we, as we come to these events. All right. Good to see you. We're wrapping up our Overcomer series, and I was just thinking during worship about uh, how real that is, that this life requires us to overcome. A lot of times we think that being a Christian is what you do so that life gets easy. And that's not quite true. You know, there is, Jesus said, come to me, and my, my, my yoke is easy. There is an ease and a peace and a, 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 lie, a grace that comes to our life that we can find nowhere else. But we are also in the middle of a cosmic battle. The Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities and rulers of this evil age. And every day when I wake up, I've got my old nemesis, these these forces that hate me, trying to discourage me, trying to overwhelm me, trying to mess with my thinking. And as I go through my day, there, there are things that, that, that they don't just, there's, they're, they're, they must be overcome if I'm going to experience the life God has for me and if I'm going to be a part of helping other people experience the life God has for them. And that's just, I hate to break it to you, but that is the world we live in. And actually, that's what God made us for. There's something in us that was, we, we, it's, it's kind of like the world gets this better than the church. Because I think if, if most Christians would write stories to turn into movies, they'd be really boring. Because they, we, they would just be like, oh, peace and heaven and no conflict. But the world gets, no, every great story has an adversary, has conflict, has things to overcome. And that is really what we were made for. And um, the good news is, is that Jesus overcame. We don't do this on our own, but we do it by his power. And then he gives us the ability to overcome every enemy that there is. And today we're going to talk about uh, a really 
common enemy. We're talking about overcoming inhibition. Overcoming living inhibited. And being inhibited means, a, a good definition, is being unable to act in a relaxed and natural way because of self-consciousness or mental restraint. restraint. Being unable to act in a, in a relaxed or natural way because of self-consciousness or mental restraint. We could title this message, actually, Overcoming Inhibition Without Alcohol. <laughs> because that's one of the great appeals to alcohol, right? Like, people, it's like, man, I drink a few, you know, all at once, man, I'm free. Like, I can, like, tell jokes, and, like, I'm not thinking about myself. I lose my self-consciousness, and, man, this feels great. And, I mean, not talking from personal experience, just what I've heard. But it, it really is a, a powerful... Um, that, that's one of the big draws towards alcohol and other substances is that like, wow, the inhibitions that I'm living with all the time, they're kind of not there so much. And people, we know that, man, that's really how I should live. Like, I want to, I want to live like that, but usually I can't. And, man, this is, this is the story of my life. I'm exhibit A of the most inhibited person you've ever met. And I it still is very much... A, a daily battle, but if you would have known me from like age, age 6 to 18, you would have been, yes, you're the most inhibited dude I've ever met. <laughs> I was incredibly shy, incredibly fearful of just in social situations. Um, I just went through life a lot of times just really insecure and afraid to interact and engage because of these, these inhibitions. I remember once when I was in elementary school, and I was at this like, group event with a bunch of kids my age that I hadn't really met any of them, but I met one kid. We were kind of becoming friends. And we went to a swimming pool. And I remember this was, this was in New York State, and it was an indoor swimming pool and in the summer, because it's, I guess, colder up there or something. And I remember all the kids like jumped in the pool and were having fun. And... But I was just so tied up with insecurities and like not knowing my place and not knowing how to interact that I just sat on the pool deck and didn't enter in. And like multiple times, my, my little buddy who, who actually shared my name, that's what I remember, his name was Jonathan too. So we kind of hit it off. But he, he'd come over, he's like, hey, Jonathan, like, look, the water's fine. Like, come in, we're having fun. I was like, no, the water's too cold. Like, I just, I'm, I'm fine right here. Like, actually, I'm having a good time. I'm having a good time here sitting on the pool deck. Really, I am. I just, the water's cold. I don't want to do that. And the water was a little bit cold, but that wasn't the real issue. It was just, I was tied up with my inhibitions. And I could tell you story after story after story. Some of you have heard some of them about how that affected my life. And it was one of the biggest things that God has, has set me free from. And I, I'm so thankful for. But, hmm. It's hard to talk natural and uninhibited when your mouth is really dry. But inhibition is, is so common. It keeps, it keeps us from, from engaging with people. It keeps us, it, it causes us to play it safe. That in, in all sorts of situations, social situations, inhibitions, inhibitions cause us to oftentimes be safe, not risk not give of ourselves, being inhibited. We're not going to give of ourselves emotionally. We're not going to risk in relationships. 
we may not risk in, in giving of other parts of our lives, or giving financially, giving other stuff. It's, it's a self-preservation sort of mechanism. Um, you see, I mean, on the, the commercials about social anxiety, and it's interesting how, how that's increased. Um, but there's just that, that force of, of inhibition that tries to hold us back. And it's especially a big issue for, for Christians, for followers of Christ, because when Jesus calls us to follow him, he calls us not just to follow him personally, but part and parcel of that calling is to be an influencer in the world. And when Jesus called his disciples, he said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And that's what it means to follow Christ, is to influence people around you. And so obviously, inhibition is a pretty, it makes it pretty tough to influence people around us when we're, when we're playing it safe, when we're too worried about what they think, when in other places, if we're afraid of conflict, if we're avoiding conflict at, at all costs, and you know, maybe it, someone does something to you that, that rubs you wrong, but you're afraid to address it in a healthy way, you, we never are going to have an influence or have healthy relationships without overcoming inhibition. And this really is God, the life that God has for us is one that is one that's free. We look at the very beginning when God made the first man and woman. In, in Genesis 2.25, we read that the man, Adam, and his wife, Eve, were both naked and were not ashamed. Man, talk about uninhibited. All right? And now I'm not encouraging you to you know, join a nudist colony or anything like that. That's not the point of the topic today. But when God made the first people, they were without inhibition. They were without fear. They, their real, true selves, they were completely open with. They lived free. They weren't self-conscious. They weren't thinking about, oh man, you know, are my hips fat? Or, you know, all this stuff. They were like, hey, I'm, this is good. I'm good. And they were, they were able to interact freely. And that's, that's how God made us. But sin brought an awareness of our, of our weakness, of our brokenness, of that there's something with me that's not right. That it, there's something that's, that's not the same. And we, and we read the next chapter in Genesis 3, verse 8. This is what happened after sin entered the world, after sin entered the, the psyche of the human race. As they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And so up to that point, God would walk with Adam and Eve in the garden. Completely unhindered relationship. No shame, no inhibition, nothing. But after sin, Adam and Eve hid because they knew something was wrong with them. And it's interesting, God still pursued them. God still, he didn't, he wasn't saying, oh, you messed up, it's over. He was still pursuing a relationship with them. But they said, oh, we, we know, we're, we're naked. We're afraid. We're ashamed. And it goes on, and actually God says, who told you that you were naked? 
that it wasn't God who was speaking to them, hey, you got something with you that I, I don't want a relationship with you because of that. But it was other voices that crept in as a result of sin. And I mean, this is interesting. I literally remember, because I, I said my inhibition really started at age six, because I can remember the exact moment when something changed in me. Because I, I, I was always quiet by nature, but it was, there was a, sec, a secure quiet. Like I could, you know, drive with my grandpa all the way to Indiana and not talk, but it, it was because I was comfortable. But something changed. I remember in first grade, I remember a, a, a kid in my class using the word naked. And at that moment, I had, that wasn't really a word that my family used, but it wasn't just the word of not having clothes, but there was something in that, in that talking, in the just out of the, the broken sort of sexuality and the stuff that was behind that, that there was just something that came through that word. And I heard it, and I real, it just changed me in that very moment. It was crazy, but it was like I lost my, my innocence. I lost the sense, I, I got a, a self-consciousness like I'd never had before. And it's just, that's what sin and the, the broken world does to us. Our, our stories are all different, but we all come to a realization of our, of our, our weakness and our brokenness in different ways. But God's redemptive plan is not to leave us there, but to restore us to the, to the uninhibited life that he intends for us, to the free life that he created us for. There's actually a, a, one definition of heaven, of the word heaven that's used biblically, is heaven is a place of rising up without restraint. Rising up freely without restraint. And that's the kind of life that God has for us. Galatians 5.1, Rob talked about this verse last week, but Galatians 5.1 says that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Christ has set us free to experience being uninhibited, to experience freedom. He has set us free, and those of us who have put our trust in Jesus and entered his family, we have experienced that freedom, but also we're not fully experiencing it. And so that's why he says he set us free, but we still have to come into it. He, we, we're not, it is for freedom in that whole context is saying, but you're going to have to contend for the freedom that God has, has, has brought you into. So how does, God, how does Christ set us free? I, want, I don't usually do this, but I'm going to use some alliteration today. All right, three Ps. Three Ps that God, that are essential to living uninhibited. God sets us free by making us pure. That's the first P by bringing us into his presence and by giving us his power. He makes us pure, he gives us, he brings us into his presence and he gives us his power. Now, purity, why, why, why purity? Well, when you realize that inhibition comes because of impurity. Inhibition comes because of sin. The reason we're inhibited is that sin has affected our souls. And that we, um, we, we go through life with, before we're believers, that dominates our life. And that totally frames the relationship with God, that our impurity keeps us from a healthy relationship with God. After we come to Jesus on the cross, his, his blood forgives us of our sins. And in our spirits, we are completely righteous. We are completely pure. The Bible talks about this. It says that 
that we become the righteousness of God in Christ, in our most inner person at the moment we trust in Christ, that our sins are removed as far as the east is from the west, that God looks us at us as, as pure. But there is a part of us, our souls, or our, our hearts, our minds, that still have impurities in them. And God doesn't judge us for those. But they, there's a nagging sense of, of brokenness, a nagging sense of, of guilt, that low-grade guilt or high-grade guilt that, that we live in because of the impurities in our life. And we, we end up inhibited because of that. Um, when I talk about impurities, I'm, it's, it's essential to know that purity comes through the cross, not through us striving and trying to be good. It's through receiving what Jesus did for us. And then, it's essential that we, that we are turning away from sin and not holding on to sin patterns in our life. And I'm, not, I'm talking both about actions, but also about thoughts and emotions. Rob talked last night about the issue that's so common of lust and, and porn and all the manifestations of that. I didn't talk about all the manifestations about that, but you, you get my drift. And the, the, our thoughts affect us in an incredible way. An impure thought that we dwell on, it's one of the most worst parts in my mind about, about the porn epidemic for men. It, uh, there, are, there, are, there are a lot. But you can think, well, it's, it's just me. It's just my little thing. It doesn't affect anything else. I'm not acting out on it. I'm not, I'm not doing this with other people. But giving in to impurity undermines our confidence. It undermines the sense of being uninhibited that God wants us to have. And dwell, having impurity in our life we, it affects us, and we can't live confidently the way that God intended us to because of that, that, that sin that's, that's going on in our life. And so it's essential that we deal with it. There's a, and how do we do that? We go to God. We turn from it, and we say, God, help me. Cleanse me. I need your help to change me. The, psalm 51 is just a powerful psalm that actually King David wrote after he had sinned, big time, after he'd committed adultery, after he'd, he'd murdered the husband or the woman he'd slept with, but he, he finally came to a place of, of repentance and realizing, man, this, I, had, I have sinned against God. I want, to be, I want to turn away from this. And this whole psalm is powerful, but I just want to read, starting in verse 7. This is how we can come to God. He says, purge me with hyssop. Hyssop was a plant that was used to, to cleanse um, skin diseases in the Old Testament. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Now here he was in this place of great sin and he just comes before God and says, God, I've sinned, but would you cleanse me? Would you forgive me? And you know what happened? God did. David's called a man after God's own heart. Not because he didn't have any impurities in his life, but because when he did, he 
he brought them to the surface and he confessed them to God. And he turned away from them. And he received the forgiveness and the cleansing that God had for him. He goes on in, in verse 12. He says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. There it is. There's that, that willingness that when, when God cleanses us, the, the inhibitions that hold us back are replaced with a willing spirit. It's like, yeah, I want to do this. I want to step out. I want to engage where God wants me to engage. There's, it's, it's, a, it's a miraculous thing that God does in our life. And verse th- thir- 13, Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. And then I'll have the ability to talk to others. Then I'll have the ability to be bold and confident with other people as you've washed me clean of these impurities. And so, you know, that's, that, that's, that's what God has for us. And we've talked about this, kind of our whole theme verse for this, this series is that Revelation 12, 11, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. Again, it's what Jesus did for us on the cross. And we're going to celebrate communion later on this morning. And really, it's going to be a time for us to, in a fresh way, say, God, it's your sacrifice that makes me pure. I'm trusting in you. But then it's also, God, if there's any impure thing in me, Lord, I, I turn away from it. Lord, would you forgive me and change me? And I want to walk clean from that moving forward. So purity is the first part of living uninhibited. Um, then the second thing is, is experiencing God's presence. The more we experience God's presence, the, the freer we are. I, we're going to read from Exodus chapter 3. This is the story of when Moses first encountered God personally. And the kind of famous story of, the, of a burning bush that was burning, but it wasn't consumed. And Moses stopped. He was a shepherd in the desert at this point in his life. And he came near it. And then the voice of God came out of this fire and said, Moses, take off your sandals because this is holy ground. And he realized that, wow, this is the God of my fathers who's appearing to me. And it says at first, Moses hid his face because he was afraid. And the presence of God is is actually a, a pretty fearful thing, especially at the beginning. Then the more... Um, we're in a place of, of insecurity or brokenness, the more it's like, oh, I don't know that I, that I want to be close to God. That's, I may not survive this encounter. And Moses, if you, the whole story, he was, had the call of God on his life, but he was living very inhibited. He had actually um, fled from the nation of Egypt because he had, he had killed somebody, and Pharaoh wanted to kill him. And so he was living his whole life, trying to, he was living this part of his life, staying as far away from Egypt as he could. And then God appears to him. And we pick up the story in, in verse 9. And God, God is speaking to him, and God says, And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. And they were, they were slaves in the land of Egypt. They were crying out to God. And God says, I hear them. And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Now we, you know, we know the story, like, yeah, Moses is going to be the man. He's, God's going to use him. But think about when you first heard this call. Pharaoh wants to kill you. And now God's saying, hey, I'm going to use you to lead two million of my people out of Egypt to a place where Pharaoh doesn't want them to go. 
And Moses had the response we probably would have had. He said in, in verse, uh, verse 11, Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He's like, man, I can't, no way! I'm going to die, and I'm just little old me. There's no way I can do this incredible leadership calling you're, you're putting out in front of me. That is beyond my ability. And God gave him the answer that he always gives to us. In verse 12, God said, but I will be with you. And he goes on. But that's really all Moses needed to know. He said, hey, don't think about the details. Don't think about how impossible it is. Here's the promise I'm going to give you. I will be with you. And that's what God does to us. He, he calls us into interactions and situations that are totally scary, totally beyond our ability. But yet, something in our heart is like, yeah, I, I want that. Man, that's, what I, that's the way I want to live. But, oh my goodness, I don't know how to do that. And God says, yeah, I'm calling you to do that, and here's how you can do it, because I'm going to be with you. I'm going to give you my presence, and I'm going to be with you. And the miracle of the new covenant, when Jesus came, is that his presence is not only near, but everyone who believes in Jesus, God himself comes and lives inside of us. And his presence is, is with us all the time. He is as close to us as he could be. I love the story in John chapter 20 when Jesus appeared to his disciples after he had died and then been, been resurrected. John verse 20, I'm going to pick up the story in verse 19. It says, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. So they're in that state of fear, a state of inhibition. Okay, the Jews just killed Jesus. They're probably coming after us next. Let's just huddle up here and try to play it safe. So here they are, where we often are. But Jesus came, his presence came and stood among them, and he said to them, peace be with you. That's what God does for us. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. There it is again. God comes to be with them. And it's not like, okay, I'll give you ten years to get used to like, just building your faith. And then maybe we'll talk about your mission. But the very beginning... He's like, hey, I'm with you, and I, but part of that is I've got a purpose for you. I'm sending you out into the world to change the world. And then he said, when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. And I believe this is the moment of their born-again experience, where after the resurrection, they, they were born again the same way that we're born again when we believe in Jesus. And God came and lived inside of them. The Holy Spirit came and lived inside of them from that very moment, just as God comes and lives inside of us when we believe in Him. Um, the Bible talks about it all over. It says, Christ in us, the hope of glory. He comes and, and lives with us. And so He's always with us, but we can experience His, we experience his presence more sometimes than other times. And so... Part of the, the battle is, is choosing to believe what God says. That he's with us even when we don't feel it. 
God, no, you said you're with me. You are in me. I know you're in me. All right, I'm going to live out of that truth instead of how I feel. But there's also an experience of God's presence that is a good thing. You know, when we worship God together, oftentimes we, we experience God's presence in a tangible way. Oftentimes in our life, being a Christian, a normal part of that is, is feeling God's presence. And we shouldn't over-rely on that because there are times when God wants us to live by faith when we're not feeling his presence. In fact, it's a whole lot of my life. But another, whole other part, but an important, another important thing is, man, God wants us to hunger for his presence. And to say, God, no, there's nothing like feeling your presence. That's the ultimate. That's what I am living for. And the more we seek God, the more we seek his presence, the more we will experience it. And the more we will experience it, the more uninhibited we will be as well. So we, experience, we overcome inhibition through purity, through God's presence. And I believe this morning God is inviting many of you this morning to say, hey, I want you to experience my presence more. I want you to seek me. I want you to pursue me. I want you to long for my presence. And I, I am ready to, for you to experience that much more than you've ever experienced before. And I want to give you that, that encouragement and that comfort that comes, that comes there. And then, God also wants to just fill us with his power. What happens soon after Jesus appeared to his disciples is, is he, um, he ascended back to heaven. And it was like, okay, well, your presence isn't very close. But Jesus had put his Holy Spirit in his followers, as he had promised to do. And in, in Acts 1, right before he left, verse 4, it talks about the instructions that Jesus gave his, his followers. And it says, while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So it's interesting because Jesus had already breathed on them and they'd received the Holy Spirit. But here Jesus is saying, hey, there's still a greater promise. There's still more. There's another promise I have of the Holy Spirit. Um, in the same way that John baptized people with water, I want to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And so they had the Holy Spirit, but there was a greater dimension of being baptized in the Holy Spirit, of being immersed in His power that God had for them. And then a few verses later, in verse 8, He says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then you will be My witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And so, God not only was with them, but there was a greater dimension of coming upon them in the power of the Holy Spirit that was going to give them the ability to be bold and to be his witnesses all over the world. And that's, that's the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that God has for us, too. I know I said that the big change in my life happened at age 18 in this whole inhibition thing. And this aspect of experiencing more of the power of the Holy Spirit was the thing that really broke me out of living the way I was. Is that I, I learned about, no, there were the disciples in the Bible that they were believers, but then... They waited, and the Holy Spirit came upon them and baptized them with the Holy Spirit, filled them with the Holy Spirit. And there were miraculous signs that came. They prophesied, and they spoke in other languages. And, but that was awesome. But even more than that, there was a boldness and a confidence that came upon their life that then propelled them out into this mission of proclaiming the message of Jesus and changing the world. And 
I was like, I want that. I see that. I want that for my life. And I just had some people pray for me. And I experienced just something happened inside of me. God's, God's power came upon me like I'd never experienced it before. And there were some spiritual gifts. I, I started praying in tongues and some other stuff. The Bible started coming alive like never before to me. But one of the biggest manifestations was the sense of boldness that I'd never had before. I found myself like speaking up in my class and counter, countering the Western Sid professor and all the stuff that was, that was anti-God and anti-faith. I found myself literally standing up on campus and preaching the gospel to people around me. I found myself starting a Bible study in my, in my dorm room and seeing that my friend across the hall come to faith and stuff that had never happened before. That was just the farthest thing from possible. But because of the power of the Holy Spirit, God gave me the ability to, to begin overcoming inhibition like I never did, had before. And, and that's what God has for us, too. And many of us are like, yeah, I've experienced that to a degree. Many of, some of us are like, man, I've never experienced that. That would be awesome. I just want to tell you this morning, God wants to give us his power to overcome our, ambition, our inhibitions and be his witnesses. So what about you? What, where are you at? What's, what's inhibiting you? What do you need to overcome your inhibition? We're going to take communion here. And as we come before the Lord, as, as we do that, I think it's just a great time for us to be looking at these areas of, of purity and, and presence and power. And I just want to give you the opportunity this morning to say, God, I want more of that. Whatever I need, if I need more purity. And that's what the blood of Jesus is all about. We're celebrating that Jesus gave his life. He spilled his blood. That by the blood of Jesus, we could be clean. That we could be forgiven once and for all. And then we could live in a, in a pure lifestyle before God. The Bible is very clear that in communion, we're, we're celebrating what God did for us. That he did for us we, what we couldn't do for ourselves. It's through faith in his sacrifice that, that we're purified, that we're clean. But the Bible also talks about, hey, when you take part in the Lord's Supper, when you eat the bread and drink the cup that remembers Christ's sacrifice. It also says, do this in, a, in an appropriate way. And it talks about if there, are, if there are sins in our life, if there are hidden sin in our life, don't take this, don't partake of the sacrifice without turning away from those sins. It says, if we don't, then we are crucifying the Lord all over again. But it's a time to, to examine ourselves and say, oh God, there's this attitude, there's this habit. There's this thing that's taken root in my life. Lord, I'm sorry. I want to turn away from that. I need your cleansing. Lord, would you cleanse me and help me by your grace to walk clean. I, I believe you'll do this as I walk with you. It's a, a receiving of Jesus' presence in a, in a special way. Jesus said, he said, this is my body broken for you. There have actually been tons of theological debates over the years of what did Jesus mean? Is is he literally in the bread and the, 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 the juice or the wine as we drink it? And I, I think that's missing the point, but in a very real way, Jesus is present in the elements as we take them in faith. 
And he's inviting us to, to experience his presence. And for you, this may be a, a time of just asking God to empower you. Maybe you've never been filled with the Holy Spirit. And you could just be ask God right now, God, I ask you to, to fill me with your Holy Spirit. I want you to empower me. I want your boldness to come upon me and give me more than I've ever had before. And so let's just, uh, would you just bow your heads and even before we, we go back to get the bread and the, the cup, I just want to give some time for each of us to, to come before God. And whatever it is that you want to, that you, you, want to you need to, to come before Him with. If you want to ask Him to purify you, and do that. Ask for His presence. Ask for His power. I'm just going to give you a couple minutes, a minute or two, to, to do whatever you want to do before God right now.